Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. I am Pastor Hayden, and I am joined with Pastor Evan. Hello there. And you know it, at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here, this podcast, that podcast, sermons, teaching, discipleship, all the things that you can imagine here at Compass Bible Church, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. And if you need a full sermon on that, I highly recommend to you last week's sermon during the baptism services. Called Reaching, Teaching, and Training. All right, Pastor Hayden, we, we started a new sermon series, uh, in the, we're back in the book of Matthew. How do you how do you feel about that? I love it. I'm so grateful. been looking forward to get back into this for a couple of months. After our winter, our Christmas sermon series, and a couple of standalone sermons, we are back. We are back. And the, this series through the uh, chapter three of Matthew is preparing for Jesus. And the sermon title was the Herald. And so let me read to you guys, Matthew three, one through six. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make the, his paths straight. Now John wore a, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food were, was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going to, out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, Pastor Hayden, before we move on, I couldn't help but think of Acts 1-8, where there Jerusalem, Judea, and all the region around the Jordan were coming to him, and in Acts 1-8, Jesus calls the disciples to go from Jerusalem to Judea and to all the regions around. Ooh, Ooh. I like it. Inclusio. There we go. That's a little fun fact for the morning. Great. It started and ended. All way. right. Well, well, that was that's it for the Comes Equip podcast. Goodbye. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, Pastor Hayden, what was the main point of your sermon this morning? It's much like John the Baptist, uh, as he prepared the way for Christ and pointed people to the first advent of Christ. Our mission is to proclaim the coming of Christ, his second advent, calling everyone to a biblical response to the gospel in preparation for his second coming. Okay, well, Pastor Hayden, you started the first half of the sermon talking about John the Baptist, and and those details I would highly recommend. Go back to the sermon and take good notes in that section, uh, because we're not going to rehash who he is. You did a good job in the sermon, but not, not the question, why did you do this? The question is, why is it important we understand the who John the Baptist is and his real mission versus, oh, he just said the same message as Jesus, and you repent, Jesus said repent, and oh, he baptized, Jesus baptized, we're supposed to baptize. Why is it so important that we understand who, you know, as you said, JB is? Yeah. Uh, let me, I won't be able to tell you the whole reason why, other than, I mean, obviously paired with what I said earlier, what the Bible and prophecy in the Bible should do is to tell you and to convince you and to comfort you in saying God did not come up with this as he went. These prophecies were foretold in the past so that when they happen, you should have this utter trust and confidence that God has had this all figured out from the beginning. And so when we see that there will be a time, there was a time, I mean, think of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah was, a, he prophesied in 700 B.C., around 740, 750 B.C. Long, long uh, time ago. And then Christ, then Christ comes around 3 to 4 B.C. And so even that, 700 years before Christ comes, you have this prophecy that there's coming a forerunner, a messenger, and a herald. And so you said, we don't have to wonder today, oh, if God knows what's going on, if he's going to show up. Like God has promised, just like God 
promise that Jesus is coming back. I mean, that's just as much in the in the plan as, as, as everything else. And so when we look at John the Baptist, we're like, he was spoken of. This guy was so important. Uh, he was spoken of before. Uh, and not only is he important because of the prophecies about him, but all of the gospel writers said he's important. So if all the gospel writers are going to talk about it, prophecy is going to talk about it, we should talk about it. Well, all right. Well, Pastor Hayden, point number one was to be a herald, uh, well, herald the return of Jesus. And rather than just going through the points again, I would just refer you back to the sermon. But John the Baptist, when he was heralding or proclaiming or preaching, he did it with urgency. He didn't wait around. Mm-hmm. What is a challenge from you that how we can be like John the Baptist? Yeah, for us to hold what I what Paul held in the Bible is called the imminent view of the return of Christ. When you hear Paul, and, and obviously John the Baptist, because Jesus was actually there at that time, uh, Paul's like, Jesus is coming back, as if it was about to happen in 30 seconds. And holding an imminent view of the return of Christ is such an important facet of the Christian faith. Which is the correct facet. Which is the correct facet. Uh, because Christ literally said, even in Acts 1, 7 through 11, uh, the time isn't for you to know. But he says that because it's not about us knowing exactly when he's showing up. It's for that we would live every day as if he's about to be here. Just like just like uh, Paul. Because if you are a skeptic of the Bible, you're going to say, well, Paul, he didn't know. He's telling people that Christ is about to come back, and yet he hasn't. But no, what Paul is is an ardent student of the Word of God, which says you need to live every day as if Christ is about to come back. And Paul did. And so for us, we're held in return of Jesus you know, it may have been 2,000 years, but but God isn't slow to fulfill his promises, is what Second Peter says. That he's patient, not wishing that anyone would perish, but, but all come to repentance. And so us and our commitment to the imminent nature of Christ's return and to live our life with the imminent view of Christ's return in view, it helps people understand the significance of our response, our necessary response to the gospel, and that Christ is coming back. And that, as a matter of fact, when he does come back, it's going to be very significant. So we should be uh, heralding the fact that he's coming, and it's going to be a big deal. Something you said in the sermon I found helpful and even convicting a little bit was when you said in the 9 a.m. that how John associated himself with the prophets, made his words as he's being a herald, much more powerful for those to mm. hear. And that was your second point. Associate yourself with Jesus. And, you know, again, the details and the conviction that you laid out for us about what what are we associating with our, our clothing, our music, our movies, who we hang out with, what we're doing. And I'll refer you back to the sermon for that. But what are the opportunities that we could miss if we don't take that seriously? Well, the positive and the negative view of that. I mean, number one, if you're, let's do the positive. If maybe we just stick with the positive, we can do the negative after. But the positive is when you're associating with yourself so closely with Christ, that means people see it. Like I mean, let's just use an obvious one. You know, I don't wear Jesus T-shirts, but if I were to wear a Jesus T-shirt and it says "Ask me about Jesus," well, I just associated myself with Jesus. So when people look at me and they see my shirt, they know I associate with Jesus in some way, so they can ask me about it. That's just a very ridiculously elementary, easy way to say, associating with Jesus by what you wear, people ask you, well, tell me about Jesus. But you think about it in a million subtle ways, right? When you are living your life and associating with Jesus, people see it and people know it, and then you create an opportunity for yourself to herald and to preach the word. I mean, think of John the Baptist, 400 years since they have seen a prophet wearing 
garments of hair and leather belt like Elijah the Tishbite, at least 400, 700 years since Isaiah. Uh, and now he's 400 years, and now they look at him, and they're like, is this the prophet? Well, yeah, look at him. He looks just like a prophet. You know, the, the idea that we associate even with the way that we look to make people see, hey, this person is a Christian. And I'm not, maybe you can twist and contort that in whatever way to make you not agree with that. But I mean, the reality is we ought to associate in every way with Christ so that we would be good ambassadors of him. And the negative is, how do you say you associate with Christ when you do blank or when you go to blank or when you're participating in blank? It's like, that is a very good question when people ask you, well, how, how can you say you're a Christian when you do that? I mean, you can get offended about people when they say that, or you can say, well, there's probably some truth to that. And that was actually part of my testimony in college, right. where my my language was uh, disgusting and filthy. It was explicit and vulgar and vile, and had a roommate in college had to call me out, and, and given he's 6'4", 320, and you know, he's off its alignment, so he's a little bit bigger than I am, but when he poked me in the chest and said, hey... If you were a Christian, you would not be saying the words that you're saying right now. And in that moment, I wanted to fight him. But then I, you know, the Holy Spirit thankfully calmed me down to go, why is he right? Mm-hmm. Why is this conviction hitting so hard that I'm almost disproving the faith I'm telling other people to you know, follow, and yet I'm not following it myself with my actions? Mm. You know, that's for me from a perspective as a non-believer. And you were, you, you, were you a Christian? I was not a, be- a believer at the time. And so even that proved the fact that you weren't. It really should. Even though you thought you were. Or even there's other times where, um, you know, where even as a you know Christian now, I had moments where I did something. I'm like, man, mm-hmm. I need to apologize for it. So there's a time and actually a meeting. I said, I apologize to uh, a group of people. Say, hey, I, I did this publicly. I need to confess and repent to, in front of this because this destroyed the witness of Christ to right. you, um, my fellow believers. Yeah, I didn't associate what, with, with Jesus in that situation well. Which, again, we're, we're all guilty of it. I mean, there's every one of us, even, uh, I mean, the most godly person in our in our groups are going to also deal with times where they don't associate themselves well with Jesus in a given situation. And that's just a great opportunity to say, hey, I didn't do that well. Let's, let's, let's seek forgiveness for that. Let's move forward, and let's move, and let's, let's, let's associate with Christ well. And here's a little bit of, I guess, conviction, and gentle conviction is, you know, the more that you are bearing witness about Christ to others, evangelizing, and, and dis, you know, discipling others and serving one another within the church, the quicker you're going to be convicted about this. I was actually thinking oh, of a yeah. friend of mine, actually my brother-in-law, he, we were, tell, we're working out and he's saying, you know what, I actually ch- completely changed the music I listened to because now that I'm kind of talking to my neighbors and more I'm serving at church, I started listening to the music and going, this is not good. I need mm. to dump it all. So he had, and it was like, great job. I did the same. Right. It's a good word. So, which leads into inviting people to rightly respond to Jesus. And uh, Pastor Hayden, um, that nervousness is you know there for all of us when we kind of see this person going, oh no, okay, they're not a Christian. I have to do the really scary, uncomfortable, nerve-wracking, sweaty moment to go, I need to call this person to repentance. How would you equip us as a church when we see that moment? Maybe it's a family member that we have or a friend to say, hey, this is how you help a person understand they're lost, explain the gospel, and call them to repentance and do this well. See point number two, right? associate yourself with Jesus. If you associate yourself with Jesus, they have no other expectation than that you would invite them 
to rightly respond to Jesus. Think about that. I mean, a lot of our conviction, well, a lot of our problem with not inviting people to rightly respond to Jesus is we don't associate ourselves enough with Jesus. I mean, I love that when I, like nowadays, you know, and I, I was guilty of this early on too. Like I would, I would ignore the conviction to tell my family about Jesus, but like, listen, I'm all in, you know, it's like, this is, this is life. And, you know, now when I'm around family, it's like, yeah, they know what's coming. And if they don't, they're about to, you know, <laughs> and it's like, my life is so associated with Christ. I mean, my bank account, my community, my address, my whole, my family, everything that's like, you know, when they get around me, they, they know. But you know, it's funny, and I'm not saying everyone, I'm not saying everyone's going to just love you more because you're a Christian. Um, but I think one of the big fears is like, oh, they're just going to think I'm a goofy old Christian. You know what I've noticed? Like when I'm talking to my family, they see the evidence of my life and the association that I made with Christ, and they've seen how God has honored my life, not by giving me everything I've ever wanted, but they just see, like, wow, the lack of destructive sin in his life and the lack of consequences based on decades or years of sin in his life, look at his marriage and his family, or all those things. Uh, they say, man, I want, to know what, I want to know what this guy has to say. I want to know what it is that this guy is doing. And I say, hey, you know what? I, I did the same thing that you need to do, and it's rightly respond to Jesus, because when he changes your life, he grabs you, he, it causes metanoia, right? Turning from a life lived for myself, turning to God, and he changes our, he changes our geography when it comes to our relationship with God, and he also calls us to change the way that we deal with people in our life, and he empowers us to do that with the Spirit, and that in, uh, in consequence changes a lot of things in how my life goes. It calls me to reconcile relationships. It calls me to use all of my days and redeem them for good, and it causes good, godly things to happen. You see, that, I think that was just about as genuine and as easy transition as can be because I associate myself with Jesus. So associate yourself with Jesus in every way, and when, you're, when you engage with people who, you, who know you, they can't help but wonder what in the world's going on. Uh, and maybe if they're not asking good questions or they don't care to bring things up, softly bring it up, or don't, or just blatantly bring it up. But all I'm saying is, if you associate yourself well with Christ, they're going to bring it up. You know, even if it's weird, like, you know, I know that you believe in this whole God thing. I'm like, I sure do, and I'd love to tell you more. You know, I mean, there's many ways to do it. There are. Um, Pastor Hayden, what is a resource that our church can have that can really help them be able to be a herald for the return of Christ? Are we going to, we need to put these out in the library, in the library. In the bookstore, we yeah, these things so, that we don't know they're talking about. Sorry, these this, are this thing that you're holding in front of me that I can see. But yeah, can't. well, the, we have these gospel they're cards, brand new, brand new gospel cards that we had just printed this week. Shout out to Linda Cavadoy, uh, and these walk you through the whole gospel. And we are going to have these out free in the bookstore. Go grab them because this is a great resource to help you prepare with scripture references and with the the steps of understanding the gospel and its response. And we'd love to give these out for free to our church to help equip you to be able to share the gospel and invite people to rightly respond to Jesus. And so there's a nice gospel card to do so. Uh, another one is um, actually a YouTube channel I forgot to write down on here that if you really want to see someone gently be able to do this with you know, joy is a YouTube channel called Living Waters with Ray Comfort. He mm. goes out every single day. Rest in peace to his pup. I know his dog died. He's still alive. He got a new dog. 
Oh wow, that was quick. I know you have to do that with the dog. <laughs> but Ray Comfort, he was a you know uh, guy from New Zealand, but lives in Huntington Beach, California, and goes out every single day to evangelize. And that's a very helpful channel that I go to every once in a while to you know kind of reequip myself to be how do I engage with a, this type of person or this maybe type of person. He does a great job gently with joy sharing the good news to this person and calling them to repent. So Living Waters YouTube channel, Ray Comfort, those are great helpful uh, videos, and also there's a book that I recommend getting on Amazon called Tactics by Greg Kokel. Uh, his last name is spelled K-O-U-K-L. And that book, the, the best part of the book is it, you know, he, he's a Christian. He says he shared the gospel. The best part of that book is how he teaches you how to have a conversation. Some of you are scared because the person's a bulldozer uh, or you're afraid to you know start the conversation or uh, this person seems smarter than I am. And he you know, destroys your concerns and actually equips you of actually how to have a conversation with someone uh, with the gospel. And so Tactics by Greg Kokel is a helpful resource. So uh, again, Compass, let's make sure with the application questions, not only that we're doing them before group, but we're doing them as applicators and not just commentators. Understand what the texts truly mean, but really apply them to your life and then put them into action and get your life group involved and, and share to your life group. Don't be the person that sits there and doesn't say anything for the next hour and a half. You know, share and you know, speak up and share to your life group so that we can embolden and stir up one another to continue to live for Christ until the day of Christ draws near. All right. Well, do we need to jump into application questions? I addressed it for you. Unless you have another comment. No, on that was perfect. Now we need to do daily Bible reading spotlight. Right, rolling up the sleeves. Compass Bible Church, we have a lot to cover. And I got my handy dandy Matthew Journal Bible that I got. Watch, well, I didn't get the bookstore, but we sell them at the bookstore. We do. Yeah. But this is a helpful resource. I have my little you know, pencil notes in here. Love it. You can see. Um, but we are going to be talking about Matthew 12 to 15. And so what you can do is you can turn there with me or follow along as you go through the week because there is a lot. There's a lot. That yeah. We're talking about narratives, discourses, it's all, the wonderful. whole nine yards. And the beautiful part, it's not only all connected to itself, it's connected to the whole Bible. So let's jump right in, shall we? Well, beginning off in chapter 12, you know, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And I don't need to forget, make sure every time you pick up a new chapter of the, of the Bible, read the previous like section to understand what why they're talking about it. Why is Jesus talking about the Sabbath? Because he literally just talked about, come to me and you'll find rest. Well, what does Sabbath mean? Rest. Come to me, all who labor, right? And all who laden, work. Uh, you'll find rest. And so, because why? Cause there's a rest controversy, a Sabbath controversy that Jesus takes on. Because here's the thing. Unfortunately, the religious leaders at that time did the Sabbath wrong. Did it dirty. They try to do they added rules to try to keep the rules and in turn just focus on their new rules and actually focusing on God's rule in the first place. And so what Jesus is gonna do not focusing on God's rule. And not focusing on God's rule in the first place. And so what Jesus is gonna do right in chapter twelve is going to correct them. He eats some grain on the grain field on the Sabbath, the Pharisees get upset, and he just takes on their challenge. He's like, Didn't David, you know, do the same thing and when he mm, ate bread of the, the presence bread of the presence meant for the priests and actually fun fact you're mad about doing work on the sabbath do you know that priests in the temple profane the sabbath and are guiltless meaning they work literally every sabbath because why because they have to do all the sacrifices so he's like if it's about work you're talking about you're you're doing it wrong well what about the guy who picked up sticks in the old testament 
well, it's not that type of work he's talking about. That guy didn't trust in the Lord and to dis- provide. To provide, that's why he was punished. And when God calls him to work on the Sabbath by sacrificing animals, mm-hmm. and so, and Jesus is saying. You're misunderstanding. And by the way, something greater than the temple is here. Verse 6. When you see that, every time when Jesus says something greater, you need to underline it and get ready because Matthew is explaining, and Jesus is explaining, who he is. He is rest. Love he it. He is rest, not the temple. All right. Well, then, or the r- Sabbath. Yeah, and right after that, he heals a guy on the Sabbath because they try to test him. And he calls them out. And he's like, "You are horrible human beings. Like, don't you like take care of your animals? And how much more valuable is a human?" Right. And I love that too because it's like it says, you know, this guy needs rest, and because he's a withered hand. I mean, and the reality is the the thing that Jesus did gave that man rest by healing him, and yet they, in hypocrisy, call him out for being. Good and godly, it's and like, that's the, and the point is Jesus saying, yeah, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but you're still supposed to still love your neighbor, which is mm. still work, and that's why it underlined in verse twelve. So it was, it, so it is lawful to, to do, do good, good on the Sabbath. Mm. So even for us today, as you know, oh, well, the Sabbath day, and we'll have the conversation about that later. But it's hey, you know, Pastor Hayden and I and all of our serve team, we worked today, mm-hmm. but it's not work. Because right. it's to worship the Lord. It is right. work to worship the Lord, but it's not work. It's actually right. rest to worship the Lord. So Jesus is saying... It's my favorite day of the week. To serve the Lord, to do what is good, to love God and love your neighbor, which is, is good, is actually resting. Think mm. about it. Because you're not trying to provide yourself. Which leads right into Jesus uh, fulfilling what was fulfilled by the prophet Isaiah when he withdrew from you know, the Pharisees who were trying to conspire against him. He fulfills a prophecy just revealing how gentle and patient he is with those who are in genuine need because they're laboring and heavy laden and they realize, I need God. And so he's the one that actually cares for them, unlike the Pharisees who just put on more pressure. I love that. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. I mean, a bruised reed is already pretty much broken, but Mm. yet he'll be so gentle he won't break it. And a smoldering wick that basically has no flame he will not cause it to flame out. I mean, the gentleness there and the, and the self-control that Jesus has. It's something that we need to emulate mm, in on. our Christian walk. Love it. And then it leads to this kind of crescendo moment of this kind of rest debate when a demon a demon-oppressed man who is blind and mute, which... I wrote down some somewhere in my notes that this is actually one of the hardest, you know, demon possessions that you could have had because he's blind, he can't see you, and he can't talk, so you don't know if you really like done anything. Mm. Um, and Jesus actually healed him, and that people are so amazed. They say this in verse twenty three: "Can this be the son of David?" They knew what they were saying. They're saying, "Is this the God Man we're waiting for, the mm. Messiah of D- David?" And the Pharisees are like, no, 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 no. Uh, the only reason they can come up with is that it's by the prince of demons, by Satan, he does this. And then Jesus takes them to the cleaners. Mm. First off, he destroys their argument for, by saying, you know, how can Satan destroy his own kingdom? Because every kingdom that divi- is divided uh, against, against itself, against itself is yeah. laid waste. He's like, Satan wouldn't do that. You're dumb. Sorry. <laughs> um, the next one is, um, if I cast him out by Beelzebul, how do your sons cast him out? He's like, you guys are saying you're casting out demons, and I'm doing it too. How are they doing it? If I'm doing it by Satan, how are they doing mm. it? And so he's like, there will be your judges. Again, destroying their argument again. And then he talks about how, well, if it's by Satan, 
you know, shouldn't someone stronger than Satan cast out his servants? You know, someone doesn't enter a strong man's house, they they bind him up and plunder him. But instead, he's like, no, I'm the one that's going in and plundering the kingdom of Satan, and I'm actually stronger than Satan. And so then it leads right into a very controversial and you know heavy verse in verse 32, is that whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. And he's going to explain it, what that means, right uh, at the next verses in verse 33. He's trying to reveal really how evil they are. How evil the, these Pharisees right here to say this work of God is of the devil. He's like how he's like this is how evil you are, because good fruit, good trees produce good fruit. Verse thirty three. Bad trees produce bad fruit. And he says you brood of vipers, which is a sting. Think about it. why is that a sting? Well, you got to remember your Old Testament. What happened in Genesis three? Mm-hmm. The snake that tempted. He's calling them snake. He's calling them Satan. He's like, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he's saying, your words right now reflect how evil, how hard-hearted, how horrible your heart is because the clear work of God is clearly happening, and you're saying it's of the of Satan. And that's what he says in verse 37, by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Because it's, like it's really revealing how hard, hard your heart is and how far you think you're close with God. This is how truly how far it is from God. And then he just finishes this, this beat down, lack of a better term to say it. And he's saying, hey, these Pharisees are saying, we, we, we want to see a sign from you. And he just says, hey, you just have the sign of Jonah for three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. So, so, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, Pastor Aiden, you preached on the book of Jonah in the summer. What is so significant about what he's saying about the sign of Jonah? That Jonah is going to be three days, three nights in the belly of the well. And he tells people, repent in the same way Christ is going to be three days, or he's going to, be, he's going to die and three days later he's going to raise as the proof of the wickedness of people who wouldn't respond uh, to uh, Christ, when these really evil, wicked Ninevites who were very, very antagonistic about the Jewish people would repent, when Jonah, who was a lesser prophet, preached uh, repentance and Nineveh repented, but Christ, who came and preached this message of repent, I'm here, trust in me, and you crucified him, and you will stand in condemnation when when Christ is revealed because a really wicked nation repented, but yet you say you love God, but yet you won't even repent at the revealing of God. Jonah's message was a few words, and yet a Gentile evil nation repented, and he mm-hmm. had Jesus doing everything. Right, having the law, the prophets, the testimony, the witness. And then he emphasizes again that you know the queen of the south, Queen Sheba, back in Solomon's day, when she heard of the wisdom of Solomon, came and behold, and something greater than Solomon, something greater than Jonah is here. And what Jesus is saying is, here is a Gentile na- two Gentile nations, one that was evil, one that was oh, good, I guess. You know, they came and saw, heard the word of the Lord, and they re- rightly responded. And it's like, you have God right here, and you're not. And it said, it's going to be a harder, harsher judgment for you. And then he kind of describes what they're like. He's like, your lives might be cleaned up right now, like a spirit, a person has a demon that's cast out of them, but then just comes right back because it wasn't the work of the Lord. And so it's going to be worse off than ever. And then 
That was just chapter 12. That, yeah, we got a long way to go. We have a long way to go, but... We're going to have to make some highlights. It's okay. We will, because <laughs> chapter 13 is the highlight section. But the beautiful part about chapter 13, this is the next discourse uh, of Jesus. So this is the third discourse of Jesus, the first being the Sermon on the Mount, the second being the discourse he gives to the disciples as they sent them out. Now, mm-hmm. this is the third discourse. The kingdom parables. And this is what ha- he's doing. In the end of verse chapter 12, he says, These are my mothers and brothers, whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Essentially, these are the people who are part of the kingdom. And then what does he do for a whole chapter? He explains who's in the kingdom, what is the kingdom, and who's not in the kingdom. And mm. the parable of the so- soils, who's in the kingdom, who's not in the kingdom. And you have the parable of the pearl, which is what is the value of the kingdom in the parable of the weeds and the fisher's net. There's going to be a sorting, even though people look like they're in the kingdom, but they're not. So as we look at uh, this uh, discourse, the kingdom, what do they need to keep in mind as they read these? What are some just, I mean, when I can't go through all of them, but what do we keep in mind, like in our minds? Okay, when I'm reading these, I need to think what? Think of, is this Jesus talking about the kingdom is or who is in it? Because right. he's that's how he's explained the entire time. Right. What the kingdom is. What is the kingdom? It's so valuable right. and amazing. And who's in it? Yep. He's okay. trying to discern... And how you can get into the kingdom. How you can get in it, and who's really and who's not. Right. Good. Perfect. All right. Well, chapter 14 is a little shorter, but this is about... Uh, the, it leads off of the death of the John the Baptist. Um, Herod. And how Herod was afraid mm. that Jesus was John the Baptist, and it's going to really start identifying who Jesus is, mm-hmm. which leads right into the feeding of the 5,000. And what you need to know about this is this is the Jesus' continual ministry to Israel right now. And he's fulfilling a couple things. One, Psalm 23, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, uh, leads me by still waters, and my cup will overflow, I will be fully satisfied. Well, what happens? They're in a desolate place, and he makes them sit down on green grass, and he feeds them, and they're fully satisfied. And why is it Israel was the symbolic nature of how many baskets were left over? Twelve. Mm-hmm. For the 12 tribes of Israel, in that how God in the wilderness Provides. provided fully and satisfied the nation of Israel through that entire time in the desolate place. And that's the second thing that and Christ he provided fills. with them manna. Yeah. And also fish and, and fish. Oh, quail. 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 And so that is just a giant significance of it. Matthew's trying to prove, and which leads Maybe right not trying. He's definitely He's proven. definitely proving. There you go. Uh, which leads into Jesus walking on water. Again, Jesus greater than the creation. And then mm-hmm. the disciples are beginning to realize you are the son of God. At, at the first, the storm, they're like, who is this guy? Secondly, like you are the son of God. And then Jesus does something. He moves locations. He starts to reach the land of the Gentiles. He's on the road. He's on the road. Which leads right into chapter 15, and this is the you know, essentially the Jewish leaders in the northern area rejecting their Messiah. They're talking about, you know, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? And it's like, there's the problem. There's your problem. And Jesus is like, why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? Because right, it's not the problem isn't respecting elders or respecting people who've gone before you. It's elevating their commands above God's. And he's really showing where they were. They're not in the kingdom. They think they are, and they're not because because they really worship man instead of God, mm. which fulfills, they fulfill, not Jesus, they fulfill the prophet of Isaiah saying, you know, they worship me with my lips, but their hearts are far from me because mm-hmm. they're really worshiping a God in their image, and they're deceived. And he just, you know, explains it to us, what, what really defiles a person. 
and they said, this is what defiles the person. All these evil thoughts, it comes from the inside. They're always trying to wash the outside of their good moral behavior, but they need a heart change. And this was promised back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 6, a new heart. Because without a new heart, the heart, that what it produces is evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This is Matthew 15 and 19. And so Jesus is trying to show them, hey, you, you're defiled because not what is on the outside, but really because what on the inside and what you need changed. And then this is where he turns to what the Jews should have been doing, reaching the Gentiles. And he went, went to Tyre and Sidon, which is a Gentile region. And this Very is where he meets... region where the Jews dis, greatly disliked the inhabitants. Disliked them. But here's the thing. The Jews rejected this, but Jesus did their job anyway. The Jews, uh, Israel, Exodus 19.6, were supposed to be a king, a nation of priests, a kingdom for the nations around to see who Yahweh was, for Israel to reach the lost nations to bring them back to Yahweh. But they didn't. But Jesus will. And who's the first person? A Canaanite gentle, Gentile. A gentle. Why is it significant, Pastor Hayden, that it's a, gen, Canaanite, a Canaanite Gentile woman? Why right? is it a can- Canaanite so big deal? I don't know. Tell me. Because these are the people that Israel replaced oh, yeah. in the promised Canaan. land. Yeah, good call. And yeah, who's this, what's this woman say? Have mercy on me, son of David. She gets it. The she Pharisees understands. who are so close to God, quote unquote, don't get it. But here's a woman so far from God and she gets Calls it. Calls him Lord too. Calls oh, him Lord. Lord, son of David. And so Matthew's oh, showing wait. who's yeah. in the kingdom and who is not. Yeah, there it is. And then Jesus goes from there and heals many, reflecting Matthew 8, but now he's doing it, instead of Israel, doing it to the Gentiles. Mm. And these Gentiles, at the end of it, in verse 31, glorified God. And then Matthew sixteen, uh, Matthew 15 ends our reading uh, for this week, where it's um, feeding, feeding the, the 4,000. 4, which is just amazing. Like He does it once, where it's like, okay, that's sufficient. But then he goes and he does it again. And he does it again. And here's the thing. How do I know? But this is significant because this is actually in a Gentile region because of the geographic location Matthew gives. But also, how many baskets were left over? Seven. Seven. For what symbolic reason? Seven days of creation. God not only provides for Israel, God provides for the whole world. Hmm. And so what this is, Matthew is revealing is that this is, Jesus is the God who provides for Israel and the whole world. And that compass is our daily Bible reading spotlight. That was so much content. We hope that you guys are able to take some of that and it is useful for you. So grateful for you guys. Let's end with some uh, dandy announcements. We have our Women's Fellowship January 28th. So that's coming up in two weeks. We're excited to have a fellowship. We're going to meet here all the guys are going to meet here at the church, and then after a recap and some fellowship, you're going to break off into small groups and go over uh, what we what you just had learned a couple of weeks ago at the at the Christmas coffee, I believe. And so we can't wait to have you here at 9 a.m. on January 28th. We also have a prayer night January 29th from 5 to 6 p.m. on Sunday. We cannot wait to meet every month, and we are just so excited to uh, have corporate prayer nights every month this year as we rely on God. Uh, and as we have, we say at our church, we have a genuine lines on prayer. We're going to exercise that through corporate prayer nights, among other things. And then finally, we have a serve team training. If you're on a serve team here at our church, we want to invite you to February the 5th from 1 to 3 p.m. We'll have lunch. We'll have kids care. We just want you to come be trained up to better serve 
uh, Christ in 2023. And we would love to have you there. If you have kids, pre-register them online uh, so that they can have uh, enough people to make sure we have enough people to take care of all our kiddos. We look forward to seeing you guys soon. Let's go reach, teach, and train.